morning, church. Shalom, everybody. Please be seated and welcome to Church of Our Saviour. My name is Daniel, and if you are just joining us for the very first time today, we want to welcome you uh, to our family here. Now, today is a special day because this is actually the second day of a feast. Now, last week, you know, those of you who did come last week, we spoke about the seven feasts, right? The spring feast and the fall feast. And how many fall feasts are there? Do you still remember? Three, right? The three fall feasts. With Day of Trumpets, and then you have the Day of uh, Atonement, which was in last Monday. And then today is the second day of an eight-day-long feast known as the Feast of Tabernacles. And some of us might be wondering, you know, are we required to celebrate this feast? You know, I'm not so sure about how you celebrate it, but you look at Zechariah chapter 14, verse 16. There's this passage there that refers to a time in the future when Jesus has come back, is already reigning on the throne, and all the nations of the world will gather to Jerusalem and they will celebrate the Feast of the Tabernacles. Very interesting, right? And then those who don't celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, the Bible says, you know, God will not give them rain. In other words, they will not prosper. So, you know, I mean, take it for what uh, it's worth. It is something for us to remember that. Now, did Jesus, do you think Jesus, do you think he celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles? Obviously, right? Because it's one of the three pilgrim feasts. So in John chapter 7, verse 37, actually, the whole chapter, Jesus goes up to Jerusalem secretly, and he comes up. Now, during this eight-day feast, right, the last day will be next Sunday, during this eight-day feast, every day there's a tradition whereby they pour out water. They pour out water, what I call a water libation, a water offering, right? Every day they'll pour out this water uh, at the temple. And on the eighth day, the last day of this great feast, the Bible calls it, Jesus goes up to the temple in chapter 7. He says, he speaks out, I suppose, as they are pouring out this water, he says, come to me, all you who thirst, right? And you come to me and you will drink. You know, he's talking about coming to God, believing in Him, putting your faith in Him. And then he says, and these people, out of you will flow rivers of living water. And then there's a little commentary that basically talk about the Holy Spirit. So today, if there's any one of us who are thirsty, this is a great time to come to Jesus, you know, because Jesus is like water for us. If you are thirsty today, spiritually, physically, you know, anything you're going through in life, come to Jesus, right? So that's sort of like the background of that. Now, we're not talking about that today. That's just by way of, you know, just uh, the background, the season that we're in. I thought it's good for you to know. So go back and read for yourself John chapter 7. I do want to talk today about something very important, and this is really uh, a commentary, if you like, on parenting. I have some thoughts on parenting. I know we did talk about parenting some months back, but here are some of my own thoughts that I've wanted to share with you for a very long time, but I've avoided doing so because, you know, the Bible has many books, right? There's the book of the law, right? Deuteronomy, the book of Numbers, and the book of Exodus. You know, in the New Testament, you have the Gospels, but there is no book on parenting, Right? There's no book that you can open up and say, this is what you must do as a parent, a father and mother. And unfortunately, that's the case with this very important subject. You know, the stuff about parenting is scattered throughout the Bible uh, and found in different journals as it were. You know, because the Bible is more like a journal than a manual. I know some people say this is a manual of life, but it really is reading someone else's journal about their experiences with God. So I want to talk about this today. I'm going to give it a shot, and maybe you can try and follow me and see if you can, you know, go with this thought. I'm going to just begin with what we are very familiar with, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, right? Train up a child 
or if you like, a youth, that's a more precise word, train up a youth in a way that he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. You don't train up a child when he's old. Well, first of all, when it's old, it's no more a child. But you know, I mean, it's like, if the cake is baked already, I like to say, you can't unbake it and right, change it from you know banana cake, suddenly you want to make a pineapple cake. It's a bit late for that, right? So a child, in the time of youth, from 5 to about 15 years old, the formative years of their life are critical. So many things about who a man or woman becomes, comes during that childhood phase or the youthhood phase, right? Now, it's true not just of our physical uh, age, it's also true for those of us who are new Christians, right? There's a certain season in your developmental stage as a young Christian in which discipleship is so important and you're going to pick up good habits, the right things, wisdom from the Lord and all these things are going to form you into the kind of man and woman of God that you will eventually become. So train up a child in this season, right? Secondly, the word train is the word hanek, which hanek means to dedicate. Training is something that involves a season of time. It's not something you do one day. I've had parents who come to me and bringing their, you know, uh, delinquent youth and say, Pastor, can you pray for my son so that he will not be so, you know, naughty and all that. I'm thinking to myself, you know, you took 15 years to make him like this, huh? You want me to just one pray for five seconds and he will change, huh? You know, you know, Chinese you say TKK, Tang Kuku, wait for a very long time. It's just not going to happen like this, right? Training requires an investment from our part. It takes a bit of time. It's not going to happen overnight. Pastors praying for it may help a little bit, but your own dedication, your own training, probably more important than anything else. And then the third part of this says, train up this youth or this child in the way that he should go, right? So there is a way. What is this way? And this is the frustrating part of the Bible, because very often, it doesn't tell you. It leaves you to find out, right? Jesus says, make disciples of all nations. Yes, Jesus. Uh, but how? It's gone already. Right? Jesus done. So we have to kind of read the Bible, read the Gospels, you know, figure it out for ourselves, trial and error a little bit in your life. And there's so much of Christian growth comes through this process of discovery. Right? So the Bible doesn't tell you. And today, what I want to try to do is discover something about this way. What is this way that you need to train your child up so that in the future he can be successful? Right? And the last question I really, or as to this verse, I want to ask is this. Who is this verse directed at? I mean, who is this train up a child in your way should, should go? Now, who is this addressing? Who do you think it addresses? Presumably, the father and the mother, right? The immediate parents. Because, you know, these are the people who exercise the greatest influence. Not the pastor, not the youth pastor, right? Not the school the parents, the immediate father and mother are the most influential people uh, for the training up, for the discipleship, for the mentoring, for the upbringing of this child, right? But you have to remember, today when we think about this, you know, it's a bit different because in our society today, we are mostly living in what we call nuclear families. And it's not nuclear bomb, uh, nuclear fam- although sometimes it bombs out. Uh, but, you know, it is a nuclear family which is the children just live with the father and mother and that's pretty much it. But when the Bible was written, it was written in a very different time when people lived in extended families and they lived in communities and in their tribes, right? So when I was growing up, for instance, you know, uh, I would live with my, yesterday I said in-laws, uh, then I realized, you know, I can't be living with my in-laws because, you know, I'm not married so young, right? So 
but I will live with my uncles and my aunties, right? So, and of course, with my grandmother and my grandfather, I was living in this. Everyone was in the house. Everybody ordered me around. Everybody corrected me and told me what to do, right? And when you look at the Bible, actually, this verse is not just addressing the father and mother. Actually, it addresses the whole community because they are all, in some ways, uh, playing a role in the upbringing of this child. And today, in the church, all of us here, all of you here, are playing some kind of role. So this is something that addresses all of us, regardless of whether you are a biological parent, right? Whether you have a, your own son, your own daughter, this is something that all of us are going to be playing a role in. Now, so I know some of you are thinking, ah, but pastor, you know, I'm too young, I'm not a father yet, I'm not a mother yet. Well, one day, hopefully you will be. But even if you're too old and you don't have ch- uh, children of your own, you are still the child of a father and mother. I believe that some of the principles here are going to be so important and because they impact us even as children, right? So we're going to go on with this. Now, I'm going to start, you know, finding out this way at the very start. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. In, in 127, God creates man. He says this, For God created man in his own image, right? So, so God has an image, something innate about God, unique about God, that's not found in, let's say, animals, not say in, you know, uh, trees and other creation, something unique about this image of God. And then he says, in the image of God, he created him, just repeating, male and female, he created them. These are very important words. In other words, the image of God that is, you know, being passed on to us is found, notice, uh, it's not men and women. It's male and female. In other words, masculinity and your feminine traits, right? These together are a reflection of the image of God. So, okay, well, first of all, you discover that there's not just one image. There's two parts of this one image. There's a masculine part and there's a female part. And presumably, they are not the same, right? They're not the same. That's why you have a different bit to it. And I want to suggest that this different aspects of God's image extends into our fathering and the mothering respectively, right? So in fathering, you tend to convey and you reinforce the masculine aspect of God's image and in uh, mothering, you tend to reinforce and convey the, I guess, the feminine aspect of God's image and neither fully represent God's image without the other. And that's why it says, male and female, he created them. Presumably, that's the image. Okay, So that's a thesis that we are working with here. Now, I know that this may be, this very ideal case will not be the reality for a lot of people because we live in a broken world where many families are actually dis- dysfunctional. Right? Either, either you have parents who are not there because they passed away or you know you have broken families where there people have been divorced and they're no longer around or sometimes they're not divorced but they're just absent right because of work because of other kind of uh, life situations so many of us perhaps have not had the benefit of getting the full measure of this masculine and feminine so but pastor then what happens right so i, I think you know i mean this is not like do or die case right but certainly there's something for us to learn about okay a bit more genesis chapter 2 verse 18 the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Now this is really unusual. Because you know, when God created the heavens and the earth, right? Every day, day one, day two, day three. At the end of every day of creation, what does he say? It is good. Sometimes he says it's very good, right? This is the only place where he says, it is not good. 
Why is it not good? Because it's not done. It's not complete, right? So he creates man and he says, you know what? This is not good for man to be alone. So he creates a, he says, I will make him a helper. Everyone say helper. Okay, what is a helper? Some parents, uh, some guys who say, tell the wife, see, you should be helper, now go make me some coffee. Okay, not the kind of helper, okay? This says here, a helper comparable to him. Now, I, I think that's a very unfortunate word because when you say it's comparable, it's like, I'm here, you're here, we are kind of comparing who is higher, right? That is not, I think, the best translation. The, the word neget in Hebrew really talks about more, it's a better word, is complementary. Right? The word actually means opposite, but not opposite in a fighting way, but opposite in a matching way. Right? So it's complementary. I think that's the best word. So I'm going to make someone to compliment you. So you're this half, I'm going to make that half to compliment you. Now, if they are complimenting, now clearly they are not going to be the same. Otherwise, they can't match, right? I mean, look at your hands. These two hands, very similar, right? But they are not the same. They are actually matching. If both my hands are like this, I think I'll have some problems, right? So, yeah, obviously, you know, you, like this, like this, right? I think you have some problems. I don't think, this by design, very similar, but complementary. That's what uh, we are designed. So, men and women, male and female, these traits are complementary. And that's very important to say. Because we are living in a world today where there seems to be an effort to try and erase the differences between male and female. They either make it all male or all female or just blur it out into one big mess. But when we look at the Bible, there seems to be a very specific distinction there. In order to get the full revelation of God's character and God's will, you need both of this. Now, what are, in fact, the roles of a father and a mother? Okay, so that's why we want to know what's this way. What roles do we play in leading children, training up children in this way? Once again, the Bible doesn't have a book that says mothering, right? It doesn't tell you this, but I think we don't actually need very specific. That's, you can just look around and you already, by instinct, you can tell that men and women have some very natural differences, right? You can't make a rule of it, but there are some very natural differences and the Bible emphasizes this. For instance, all throughout the Bible, you see that Mothers have a nursing role. Okay, that's also in their biology, right? So mothers nurse their children. When Moses was picked up from the water, his mother was asked and he nursed Moses into health. Uh, when you look at uh, Naomi, Naomi nursed Obed, who's not, not her, own, uh, her own child, but nursed this son anyway, right? And then, of course, uh, Hannah nursed her own uh, only son, Samuel, right, into health and became this great man of God. So mothers nurse children. And this is just something that we all know. They, they provide nurture, they feed the children. Now sometimes babies can get confused, right? And sometimes parents also get confused. And the baby will try to have the father nurse him. It doesn't work, you know. You want to try also cannot work because biological, you know what's nursing, right? I don't want to like make this too explicit, but Fathers cannot nurse the kids. It's just biologically not possible because there's a design to this thing. You look at the human body, there's a design to it. Okay, so mothers are the protectors. They are the nurturing element, right? They, they feed the child, they bring up the child. But men are very different from women. Men are very different. You know, when... And you can tell this just by see whether this is true for you. You know, when women tell men a problem, 
Usually, they are seeking empathy. They are looking for someone to, to listen, to hear them, to understand them, right? And, and the husband, if you are smart and you know anything about life, you should go like, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, right. Wow, that's terrible, you know? Hmm. See, I know it works because I'm still alive today, right? So, those of you who don't know this, uh, you fight a lot, right? When women tell you something, they don't always want a solution. Now, listen, I wasn't always so smart, right? Last time, when my wife tell me problems, I thought she wants a solution. So, I'm taking notes. Mm-hmm. Okay, you should do this, you should do that. No, she doesn't want advice, I realize. She doesn't even want to solve the problem sometimes. She just wants me to say, uh-huh, yeah, mm, yes. You know, and after a while you master. I can do this while doing other things. So I read a book. Uh huh. Yeah, uh, totally. Yes. You're gonna pay for my trip to Japan? No. No, <laughs> I'm listening. Right? Women are like that. They are. They are empathetic creatures, and that's why they show empathy better. The Bible, you know, and um, the Bible actually talks about this. You know, in Isaiah chapter forty-nine, verse fifteen, it says, "Can a woman forget her nursing child?" And what is the rhetorical question? The answer is no, right? Because mothers, they are such nurturing uh, persons that they cannot forget their children and, and not have compassion on the son or woman. But fathers, you know, say here, can fathers, because the Bible knows fully well that a father can totally forget the child. You know, you go to a shopping center you know, with your son, right? And you buy a whole lot of things, and you go home. Then you reach home, then the mother asks you, hey, where's, where's Bob, huh? Bob, Bob? Bob went with me, huh? <gasps> Wait for a while, huh? Oh, you go out there and get a, right? I actually have someone told me this happened, right? I don't know, I, I don't know whether it happened to you, right? Or maybe you did it to your own children. I hope not. Uh, but men, the Bible knows, they can totally do something like that. Would you agree? Yeah, you agree, right? Because we are very focused on other things, right? So, uh, just by looking around, you know that we are made differently, we are built differently, we are designed differently, we are wired differently. So there are some things that you can already tell, and the Bible seems to affirm some of this. So we know that mothers are these nurturing creatures. But today, you know, men are being encouraged also to get in touch with their so-called feminine side. Be more sensitive, right? They want you to get in touch with your feelings more. And I think this concern comes out from the maternal perspective of parenting, right? You know, mothers have been so successful in parenting. You have done such a good job in being a mother, in nurturing, in protecting that, that today, people think that the only way to be a good parent is to be a mother. That's why you have this song, you know, 世上只有妈妈好, right? On the whole world, there's only mothers who are good. So every Mother's Day, they sing this song, and all the fathers are behind there thinking, they never write any song for us. Huh? So, you know, the only way for them to write something, i got to become like a mother. You understand what I'm saying? So this is a skewing. Because we start to think that the only way to parent a child, to train up a child, is to become a mother. So all the fathers, in trying to good, be good fathers, end up nurturing, trying to nurse a child. Okay, this doesn't work very well, right? But, you know, this is what society is telling us. Oh, fathers, you all... So, I know there are many fathers who are in trying to be a good father, don't know how to be a good father. So, they look at the mother, whatever the mother do, I also do, right? So, I think we want to, we want to challenge that thought a little bit today, right? So, there are distinctive roles. Fathering is not mothering, and mothering is not fathering. And in fact, this kind of over-mothering, if you like, and under-fathering has a deep 
consequence in our society. That is not just psychological, that's not just social, but in fact biological. Study after study, research after research have shown that the testosterone hormone, right, the testosterone level in men across the board have been falling in the last 20, 30 years. Every, so many, this is just a sample of the studies. There are many more studies that show that men are becoming less masculine, right? And that's why you see people, women always say, where have all the good men gone? Yeah, that's right, they have gone, you know? And partly, I suspect, maybe due to this problem of over-mothering, and the researchers themselves, they're not very sure why this is happening, right? Some of them, they, they speculate that maybe it's due to environmental reasons. Maybe it's the water that you drink, right? New water, who knows, right? Others say maybe it's the water bottle, right? The BPA in the water bottle, and maybe that's causing you to have too much, you know, this female hormones or, you know, similar to female hormones. Now, I think that, I don't know whether this is true or not, but I suspect that at least a part of that reason is due to the way we parent our kids. It's cultural and, you know, it's parental, right? It's something to do with that. So, what does the Bible say then about the role of, let's say, a father? Because we kind of know what a mother does, right? But what should a father do? In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8, it starts with this. It says, my son, hear the instruction of your father. Right? So the father's job is to instruct. The reason why you want to instruct a child is to empower the child so that he will succeed as, as a person, right? Now it can be a boy, it can be a girl, but you want them to succeed. So instruction needs to be given. And I think sometimes in uh, Asian culture, we are not very good at instructing. We are quite good at punishing, right? We are quite good at punishing penalizing. We're not very good at instructing and, you know, it seems like this is not just our problem. You know, there's a, the Bible doesn't have many examples of positive parenting, but there's quite a few examples of negative parenting. One of them, believe it or not, is King David. King David was the greatest king in Israel, in the history of Israel. He was the greatest leader and he was a mighty warrior. But you know, as a father, he was a complete disaster. Almost all his children, you know, went some funny way and got into trouble. And here in 1 Kings chapter uh, 1 verse 6, it's a commentary that was made about David. You see, he had, he had a, one of his sons, Absalom, very handsome guy, tried to use up the throne, take over the throne from his father himself, right? To use up the throne. And then he, he even took his uh, the father's concubines even. So it was a disgrace to, to him and to the nation Israel. But what did David do? David asked. David spoiled the kid, man. Even after all this, David, ayah, poor thing. Poor thing. Are you kidding me? Then, second son, another son, Adonijah, tried to steal the throne, right? When David was old. So here was a comment about David. He says, And his father, that's David, had not rebuked him, Adonijah, at any time. Did not rebuke his father at any time, saying, Why have you done so? instruction, right? That's correction. And then about Adonijah, he was also very good looking. His mother had born him after Absalom. So who raised these children? The mother? Because David wasn't there. David was busy doing other things, right? right? Running the kingdom. So the mother, as any mother would, protect the children, try to make the best for the children. Uh, I mean, this is not just them. Lah. We know today our uh, mothers uh, will go to schools to fight for their children right now. Why my son get this grade? Uh? Should be A. Why you give him B? No, lah. Why? Why? You know, many teachers are uh, sometimes the worst part is dealing with parents. Uh. 
who want to fight with you for points for their kids, right? You know what I'm talking about? I hope you're not one of them, right? But so, you know, sometimes there are, there are these things that happen. And there are many other people like that in the Bible. Examples like, you remember James and John? James and John, right? What did the mother want? Come to Jesus. Ah, Jesus, ah. I can't have a word with you, right? You know, my these two sons, very handsome boy. They're very good boy, ah. They, uh, they work for you a long time already. I just want to ask, ah, small favor. Next time you come, ah, they want to sit left and right. This is what a mother would do. Uh. This is what mothers would do. A uh. mother would fight, fight. Now, if a father was there, I think the father would say, huh, you want to sit at the right hand, and left hand side of Jesus? Uh. You go ask him yourself, lah. Right? But the mother, no, 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 don't worry. Later Jesus go, I go and tell you, wow, mothers are like lion, or tiger, they will fight for their children. Right? Protect the children, right? Protect them, nurture them, fight for you. But no, 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 I fight for you. But father, I think uh, you go and fight yourself, uh, right? And of course, that's not the only case. Rebecca. Remember Rebecca bringing up Jacob, right? Rebecca taught Jacob, Jacob, I tell you, uh, here's how you're going to trick your father. Okay, you dress up Harry and all this. Uh. These are the words that you say. And you, then you tell him this. He'll bless you. Yeah, I'm going to get this for you because you're my favorite one. I'll protect you. Jacob says, uh, Mamma mia, you know, if you find out how, he's going to kill me. I'll be dead meat, you know. Don't worry, I'm here. Huh? He killed me. I'll kill him first. Uh. You go. I mean... No wonder Jacob had all these problems in life. You follow what I'm saying? The Bible doesn't give you a lot of positive examples, but negative examples are got quite a lot. Eli, Eli the high priest. The children uh, all, all went all over the shop, right? And 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 13, it says, For I told him, I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows. Eli, you know what you did wrong, right? What did you do wrong? Because his sons made themselves vile, and he, Eli, did not restrain them, did not instruct them, did not correct them, did not rebuild them. You knew it. This is your job as a father. You did not do it. Now listen, I'm not just talking about disciplining, uh, not just punishing. It's correcting. Like I said, Asians sometimes uh, we are too sensitive to people's feelings. And you don't like to correct them. When children do wrong, you um, next time don't do it. Uh, sometimes you just have to be firm and tell them it's wrong. Well, this did not happen. Right? So with all these negative examples, you see that a father has this restraining role, this role about correction, preventing wrong. But that is not all. That is not all your role. Because there's, it's not enough to tell a person what not to do. You have to tell them what they should do, right? And there's also another part to it. I want to suggest four ways in which fathers can be this role. Now again, we all, some of us grew up, our fathers were not like this, Right? Our fathers had not guided us, perhaps, not done some of these things for us. But even if you are not a father or you're someone who perhaps your parents did not give you these things, I think you can still benefit from this because we can still consciously and intentionally move ourselves in that direction which will help us to become more like the full image of God. Okay, So four ways I think we can, uh, we can do, be better, I can, masculine models and fathers, right? First, by giving our children opportunity. Opportunity to try things. Opportunity to do things a bit differently. Opportunity in particular to bear responsibility with consequences. Right? Bear responsibility. So, you know, when, uh, do you remember when Samuel came to Jesse's house in order to anoint a new king? Because, you know, Saul was disobedient and God says, you know what, I'm going to find for myself a man after my own heart. Right? So he sends him to Jesse's house now Jesse, he's got many sons. So he brings out all his sons one after another, right? The 
The oldest one was strong and second one still pretty handsome. One after another, strangely, God said, not this one, not this one, not this one. And after all seven sons had come out, God still says, none of them. So Samuel is like a little bit puzzled. He's like, oh, okay, well, God asked me, how come you don't want any of them? So he asked Jesse, right? 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 11. Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? Right? Are all these young men? Because the whole pageant over already, uh, Mr. Universe, all already, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Then he asked, are, are these all there is? Then the father paused and think, well, oh, yeah, now that you mentioned it, I do have one more son. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I forget him, I'm so small, right? That's, that's men. Our mothers will not forget one, right? But the father says, there remains yet the youngest one. Oh, there he is, over there, somewhere out in the field, right? You see him there. What is he doing? Keeping the sheep. Now listen, this is the youngest one. The youngest son, David, is out there somewhere in the field, all by himself, because the brothers were here, right? He's all by himself. He's given some responsibility. He's doing something important. And I think this is so important as parents, to give your children responsibility, starting with small responsibility when they are young. Now, responsibility with consequences, right? So that they can learn how what responsibility looks like. Now, you don't wait. You know, a lot of parents say something. I are too young, don't ask him. You know, he don't know one. Don't, 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 don't hold that accountable. Until one day, he's 20 years old, you give him, here's your first responsibility in your life. And they fail, you know. And they fall, they fall a big time, right? Because you wait until so late, they will not be able to learn from their mistakes. So having opportunity is very important, right? So Jesse was willing to entrust this small responsibility to David. And we know what happened because he goes out there and he starts to discover his own strengths. Fathering is not mothering. A mother will be worried. A mother will not let David out. I want you to imagine that you are, let's say, nine-year-old David, right? You're a young boy, you know, kind of spiffy, excited, energetic, and your father comes and says, David, David, come here. Lie, lie, lie. Come here. David, you see this thing? Yeah, I see that. This is going to be your stuff. <gasps> My own stuff. Wow. Can you remember the feeling? Do you remember your dad let you drive the car for the first time? Oh my goodness, I can't believe my brother, my father trusts me. My own stuff. That's right. Not only this, you see this five baby sheep? This is your sheep, right? Five baby sheep, not baby shark. Huh? Five baby sheep, this is your own sheep. <laughs> okay, I just get that song out of my head, right? And you go and look after. I can, can you just imagine how you feel? You feel your father trusts you and you're just brimming with pride and Wow, I got my own stuff, my own sheep. I'm going to be a man now, right? Even though you're just a small kid. See, that's the impact. But what will mother do? Huh? Don't, 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 don't go out there. Out there got lion, got bear, dangerous. Okay, you can't play in the backyard. Yeah? Okay, you can look, but just only in the backyard. The father, no, no, no. Oh, backyard. You're going to go out there. That's where you learn to be a man, right? So that's the tension. Now, the mother is not wrong. Huh? The mother wants to protect, right? But if all you have is a mother then you only know how to play in the backyard. So this is something very important. You know, many times we are overprotective of our children. You know, when I was growing up, my parents didn't actually allow me to join any ECA because they're afraid I might be naughty. In fact, I'm very naughty, right? So I wanted to learn to ride a bicycle, but they were convinced I will kill myself, right? And uh, so I secretly learned bicycle riding. Right? After school, I will always borrow five minutes. I'll ask my friends, can you let me try? You know, those days you got this chopper bicycle. I don't know how many of you remember. Back 
wheels bigger, front wheels smaller, so cool, like, I was get on chopper, and I'm like, go downhill all the way and try not to kill myself, you know, adrenaline rushing through, I was learning to be a man, right? Oh, every day I do this, and one day I went to a major exam, and I forgot to bring my IC, you know, and my house was like, normally I walk to, uh, walk to school, but it's like two and a half kilometers away from school, so I thought, I'm going to borrow this bicycle, I did borrow the bicycle. I cycled like a madman all the way home. And first time I was on the road all by myself, you know. My parents didn't give that opportunity. And thank God I didn't kill myself, right? But it would have been so good if my parents, my dad had been there to say, okay, okay, you, you do it, right? But remember, uh, roundabout, check left, right. Uh, nobody told me all these things. That day, thank God, no car, right? Otherwise, I wouldn't be here already. So opportunity is very important. Right, very important to give. Don't deprive your children from opportunity by overmothering them. Second, permission to fail. Right, if you're going to give them opportunity, you should also give them permission to fail because it is true failure that you test. You know your own limits. You know how much you can get away with and how much you don't get away with. And I think this is basically what happened to David. You know, as he's out there learning to be this little shepherd boy, he was testing his own limits. He knows his own strength and he's gaining confidence. When he failed one time, he tried again, he gains confidence. You know, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 34 to 36, David said to Saul, he's about to fight Goliath, says, your servant used to keep his father's sheep and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it. I don't know how many of you have ever seen a lion before. Don't play, play, man. Those things, huh? And this guy goes after the lion. Give me back my lion. My dad told me to look after it. It's not for you to eat, right? And delivered the lamb from his mouth with arrows against me. I caught it by his beard. I struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, all right? And this Goliath, this new, bigger challenge, I can take it. Because I've learned from my own mistakes. I know my limits and I know I can do this, right? Now, you never try before how you know. Recently, I've been uh, invited to do some rock climbing uh, uh, by some people in our church who are very into rock climbing. One. So they dragged me to do rock climbing. Now, you know, people who are older normally don't go for this kind of extreme sports, uh, right? Because, you know, it could be extremely hurt also, right? So, and it was the first time in my life. Now, as I was trying to climb up this unfamiliar wall, they were, I heard this thing, people keep saying, trust your feet, trust your feet. I said, I trust my feet, I walk a lot, but I don't trust this wall, you know, because I don't walk on wall a lot, ma. Now, in order to trust your feet, you've got to go up there, you've got to step on it, and sometimes you'll slip, right? Then I know how much I can step before it slips. That's how you get to trust, right? By having permission to make mistakes. Now, if you never ever make mistakes, you do not know where the limit is. You do not know where the edge of your confidence is, and therefore you do not know. So, today, I feel like when we over-mother children, we deprive them from this ability to test, right? Now, you know, we, we have this playground picture. Some of you may you know, recognize this is a little tight playground. Right? And I suppose many of today's kids grow up with this kind of playground. I can tell you, first of all, this is probably a playground designed by a mother. It's so safe. It's so safe. You, you fall off the top also, you won't die. Look at all the soft stuff at the bottom, right? And if you ran and bang your head against a plastic thing, no baluku one, right? It's, it's very safe. And not only that, the mother is also there, standing right there. This designed by a mother. Now, I want to show you what kind of playground a father would design, right? Next slide now. This is a father's playground. 
This is the kind of playground I grew up in, okay? Back in Malaysia, our playground is actually, you notice, you can actually die. <laughs> but you learn not to die, right? Because this you really learn to, how to, you know, if, what's your limits? The limits you experience. Now you take away all the consequences. How are you going to learn anything? Right? So the little tax playground, we actually, I have one more slide. This is a swing, you know. I mean, it's just like, I don't know how many of you will let your kids do this, but we used to do this. We was, we like to see how high, if we can go one whole full round, even better, right? Sometimes I, I feel like this makes you stronger, so what doesn't kill you, you know, make you stronger, right? This natural selection. That's why the whole generation is very tough. We keep hearing people say play is so important to children, right? As parents, you keep, but most people don't understand. Play without consequences is just entertainment. Good play that causes people to grow is play with consequences where they have permission to make mistakes. And then they're testing their own limits and boundaries and they know, okay, this is how you can do it. And they work on themselves, they push themselves, they challenge themselves. And that's kind of... When I look at this playground, I, I, I remember, wow, what a long way we have come, right? And you wonder why today, you know, when people go to army, they need the mate to help them carry the backpack, right? So I think this is something that we should... Uh, as a parent... You're not just there to to give them opportunity. You should be there to grant them this opportunity to make mistakes because mistakes in life is what is the best teacher. You know, sometimes you tell them so many things. Okay, let them try. You want to touch the fire? Go ahead, touch. It's okay one. You won't die one, right? But the mother, see how we how you let's touch the fire. Don't worry, touch one time. You may save him for a whole life, right? Maybe. So you tell me, what's the difference? I think the difference here is. Opportunity, permission, consequences. Consequences. And permission to make mistakes in those consequences. Third of all, we need to provide them support and encouragement, right? Support and encouragement. Because you want, you want them to succeed. And really the person that comes to mind. And support and encouragement is not just always, you know, cheering, but sometimes telling them what is right when they do not know what is right, right? When they are confused, when they are stuck in a situation and the, the boy is wanting to do something and he keeps looking back at the parents for for your approval or for your disapproval, right? He look back and the father is smiling, yeah, then you do it. But your father says, mm, don't do it, right? So that's support and encouragement. So I think about Esther. Many of you know in the Bible, Esther was an orphan. It's an orphan. And she was actually adopted by... Some say the cousin, because you know it says uncle, but actually the Hebrew word for uncle is it's not, it comes from his brother. But it could be uncle or could be cousin. I, I like to say uncle because he's older. But uh, Mordecai became the adoptive father. Now, they grew up, you know, you know how the story goes, she became the queen. But finally, a moment came when the Jews were about to be destroyed. And Mordecai calls Esther, the adoptive daughter, and says to her, Esther, in this moment, you got to do the right thing. And the right thing is not to chicken out, but to be what God has called you to be, right? Do the right thing. Because you don't, God is going to call someone else, but you will miss out. So, you see, the father is supporting, is encouraging, uh, encouraging this uh, young woman to do the right thing. And you know, when I was uh, climbing, uh, when I was climbing, uh, I noticed there's something about the culture of climbing where they all like to encourage support one another. You might be climbing there. Now, it's a bit stressful because everyone's watching you, right? They're watching you climb. But while they're watching you climb, I noticed 
People will say things like, come on, come on, you can do it. Yeah, you can do it. Almost there. And then they'll say things that sometimes I don't understand. Like, Ale, Ale. What is Ale? I'm, I'm climbing here. Ale, Ale, you know. And then, and then somebody will say, easy, easy. I'm like, not easy. Easy for you. You're standing down there. Of course, easy. Like, I'm up here. I'm not easy, right? But I notice that this culture where everyone is encouraging. You know, in the church, right, we should encourage one another. Very important. Because it's tough, you know. Life is tough. Being a Christian is tough. And part of this fathering aspect of, of uh, God's image is to be the encourager. Yesterday, uh, yesterday, Friday night, we had a prayer meeting. We said, all the young people there, this is exam season. They were all there praying. You know, I had to encourage them. I said, guys, good job, man. You are here. You know, I mean, God sees your heart. You, know? you need to encourage them so that they'll do more of the thing. Now, sometimes when I'm climbing, I'm not sure. I've never done this before. I'm like, are you sure can or not? All the voices say, can one, can one. I don't know whether they sabo me. Huh? Sometimes, sabo. can one, fall down. But huh, now you learn already. It cannot, right? But, Sometimes you let you gain strength from the encouragement of other people. So, a father, you need to be there to encourage your children. But we should also encourage one another, right? So actually I have a, a video, a short video of this climbing, you know, and I want to kind of use one of this part of this climbing video. Just play it already, right? And um, don't laugh, huh? So, so I'm, I'm climbing. By the way, as you can see, it's quite high, right? right now. First time climbing this thing. Now, you notice, uh, I'm climbing quite, seems to be quite fast and quite confident, like nobody's business. Why do you think I was doing that? Do you notice uh, there's a tether, something holding me there, right? That's called the auto belay. It's a rope that's holding me, right? But that, that rope is not pulling me up. It's not helping me to go up. It's not helping me to go down. But you know what happens? That rope is there to catch me if I fall. Right? If I make a mistake, I fall off this. It's quite a high wall, you know. I mean, seriously. Without that rope, I don't think I would be doing this. You know, in fact, that way I have to preach. I was telling them, if I don't make it, uh, someone else will have to preach, right? So I'm climbing out. Now, after you get to the top, and I kind of got to the top there. At this point, what do I do, right? So I kind of just jump off, right? At this point, uh, jump right off. Ah, boom. Okay, they didn't tell me I need to push against the wall, or slam against the wall. <laughs> now, that rope doesn't help me climb. But it's there to support you if you make a mistake. I think parents need to do this, right? You all need to kind of be there for your parents, uh, be there for your children. And actually, as a community, we need to be there for one another. Because, you know, we all need this kind of encouragement and help. Amen? Last thing, right? So three things already. You need to be there. You need to give them an opportunity. You need to give them the permission, right? To Opportunity with responsibility and consequences, and then the permission to fail, to make mistakes and learn from it. Third of all, you need to provide support and encouragement. Last one, you should be examples. You know, there's sometimes nothing better than an example. You look at your father, and by the way, your children are going to become like you whether you like it or not. So you might as well be a good example because you can't control that part, right? So when we ourselves exhibit strong things in our life. Our children will look at us and they'll become like you. They'll emulate these things. They'll admire us. Four things here. Now, I realize that in saying this, you know, there are many of us, again, who perhaps in life may not have had the benefit of people who were able to offer us these opportunities, permissions, encouragement. Some of us grow up without those things. In fact, I myself also quite difficult, you know. Like I said, when I learned to ride bicycle, there were many times I fell down. In fact, 
I will scar my hand here. One day I was just riding bicycle, borrowed bicycle. My parents didn't know about it, you know. Uh, and I was chased by a dog. I scrambled and I fell down. I, I had such a deep cut, I could see the bones of my hand. But I did not tell my parents, right? So I, for the whole week, I was just holding it like this. Somehow my parents didn't notice. Huh? What has got red color here? Blood dripping here and there. They didn't notice it somehow until it healed all by itself, you know. And I still have the scar here today. And some of us grow up without the benefit of these things. Now I want to say two things. First of all, we have a heavenly father who continuously offers us these opportunities today. Even if you may not have it in the past, it's not too late. The Bible says he's a father to the fatherless, right? So God is able to give us these things. And for you, secondly, as yourself, our journey of growth is not over. Just because you're no longer a young person, a young man, a youth, we can still grow spiritually in so many aspects of our life. When the church challenges you to take a step of faith, don't be afraid of failure. Don't be afraid because we, we are cheering you, we're saying, Ale, Ale, easy, you know, you can do it, right? You can do it. And when you do it, you're going to discover that, in fact, you can do it. You're going to become confident, right? And this is the heart and essence of discipleship. That's how people grow strong. And that's also the same reason why some people never grow strong even if they are in church for many years. Because they are being mothered. They are being protected from all the errors and mistakes of life. So to be successful in discipling the next generation, in parenting the next generation, and in fact, to be successful as a church that raises up the next generation, these are some principles I feel I, I needed to say, right? It's, it's a difficult thing because it's all over the place a bit. But I hope you get what I mean. Are you following me? Are you following me, right? So this is important. I hope you can give this some serious thought. If you're a parent, it's very obvious what you need to do. If you are a child, then when these things happen to you, when parents give you an opportunity, seize it. Be brave, man. Be like little David. Go for it, right? If you are older and perhaps you know, you're past the point of uh, being a child and you never had those opportunities, look to God. God is still giving you opportunities. We are still your family, right? Remember, this word is not just addressed to the nuclear family. It's addressed to the community. As a community, we want to be a fathering and mothering community. Amen? Let us pray. Lord, we want to thank you for all that you've given us. We thank you that you are our Heavenly Father and actually even our Heavenly Mother. You not only protect us and keeps us in the shadow of your wings, but you also send us out to do great things, right? You send us out to be men and women of God. So Father, I pray today you Holy Spirit will speak to each one of us. And for some of us here who need encouragement, Father, I pray you will just affirm them. And you will challenge us in a way that only a father can. In the name of Jesus, we ask and we pray. Amen. Amen.